most famous characters in Buddhist cosmology, a major function in the Buddhist universe, an opposing force to Dhamma, and uh, keeps reappearing famously throughout the suttas. Mm. So we decided we would explore the function and nature of Mara today. Of course, the, perhaps the most famous episode is that beginning episode with uh, on the night of the Buddha's awakening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and this has um, come down to us in uh, various versions and in later times received many literary treatments from everybody from Joseph Campbell to Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, the version that's found in um, the commentaries to the Pali Suttas is an early version, very well fleshed out, is that um, uh, the Buddha was sitting in on the Bodhi seat, the Bodhi Manda, which is an important spot cosmologically. All the Buddhas become enlightened on the same spot. And Devas from 10,000 world systems had assembled. And this is a moment of great expectation. And then uh, Mara realizing that his dominion was about to be threatened, Hmm. appeared with his army, a great host of lesser deities. Sometimes they use the plural Maras, and sometimes they talk about Mara's company assuming various ferocious demonic forms and Mara threw all kinds of um, attacks against the Buddha like uh, showers of hot coals that turned into uh, lotus petals and fell harmlessly around him. One thing after another and one detail that's important is that the Devas fled. Hmm. They ran away Hmm. and including Mahabrahma. The lesser day was including Saka. They ran headlong to the edge of the world system. But uh, Mahabrahma went up to the peak of Mount Sinaru and planted his parasol before he left. So he still ran away, but not quite as headlong. And I think this is significant because the day was are not fleeing so much out of cowardice, but because they recognize the superior position of Mara as overlord of the whole sensuality realm, Mm -hmm. and they're subject to the realm of sensuality. Mahabrahma still has some concern with with Mara. He's not completely beyond Mara's power, but it's attenuated. So Mm -hmm. he's able to make a gesture of defiance before he Mm -hmm. runs away. Mm -hmm. So the Buddha was left alone facing this horde of of demonic beings. And uh, Mara realized that no matter what they did, he was unable to shake the Buddha. So he challenged him and said that you have no right to be here. This earth is mine. This realm is mine. And the Buddha said, um, I have earned the right to be here by my perfection of the paramis. And in my last human birth, the Vasantara birth, I perfected the parami of generosity. And Mara says, well, so have I. And I call this host to witness. And all his lackeys and minions are, yes, yes, we have seen it, we have seen it. And the Buddha said, I have no living witness because it was done long ago. 
but I shall call an unconscious witness. And he put his hand on the earth. And this is a, a famous um, motif in art. You see many Buddhist statues with this mudra where his right hand is touching the ground mm -hmm. with his fingertips. This is the earth touching Buddha. And the earth uh, cried out in a loud voice like thunder. Mm. I have seen it. Mm. And this was the end of Mara and uh, Mara's assault. His host dissolved. They ran away in panic. Mm and f fled in all directions, dropping their weapons. And the Buddha was left entirely alone, and he attained to a full awakening. Mm -hmm. Well, we should talk about uh, where Mara resides as well. Um, we've discussed this in other uh, cosmology videos, but the position of Mara is not in hell as, in, as, is, no. as Satan is. Uh, talk about the realm that the Mara lives in. Mara is a very high-level deity of the uh, Dewa of the sensual desire realm. He resides in the highest of the sensual heavens, the Parinimitta Vasavata. Parinimitta Vasavata. So just translate that. Into the that into the realm of those who delight in the creation of others. The lord of that realm is Vasavati. And Mara is said to not recognize his authority and rules as an independent rebel prince in one <laughs> quarter of that realm. So, so there, there's a, a division at the very peak of the sensual desire yeah. realm. But, but Mara must, the being who became Mara must have made uh, considerable good karma to be reborn in such a high station. But it, yes, this is the interesting thing. This is an interesting detail. We should also point out that, um, like, uh, like Saka or Wasawati or any of these other, uh, high level Dewas, the, the name Mara is really more of an, an office than a proper name mm -hmm. because, uh, there's always a Mara, but because nothing is permanent in the Buddhist cosmos, he has a beginning and an end. He will decease from that realm. Mm -hmm. But then some other being will become Mara. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's really interesting that in order to be there, you've got to have a good stockpile of merit, have done many good deeds, and at the same time be in opposition to... So you just have to be jealous of your realm and your power, mm -hmm. you know, in mm -hmm. opposition to the Buddha, who is dismissing the value, really, of Mara's realms. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, it's... It um, shows both the power and the limitation of um, meritorious karma alone. Mm -hmm. you know, he, he is a being who has made sufficient meritorious karma to be born as a high-level Dewa, but he does not have any impulse to renunciation or to seeking anything higher than the sensual mm -hmm. desire realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mara is uh, functioning in various people's lives who are aspiring to the spiritual path as well. So the Buddha is not the only mm -hmm. opponent or victim of Mara. Mm -hmm. And one would, the, the spiritual practitioner would encounter Mara in certain ways. Mara, are there various dis forms of Mara? Yes, you know, he can, um, like, like any of the the higher dewas, he is, he is a power to change shape and appearance, and he'll come and 
and appear to beings in various forms. Um, there's a whole series of suttas in the Samyutta uh, where he encounters bhikkhunis practicing in the Andawana, the, the blind man's grove, mm-hmm. some spooky forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, in several of them, he takes the form of a handsome youth and tries to seduce them. Mm. And it always ends the same way, where the bhikkhuni rejects the Mara and says, I know you, Mara, mm-hmm. this formula. Once Mara is known, mm-hmm. his trickery is punctured, then he has no power. Yes. So this is always the formula, that, you know, when he fails in his attempt, the, the, the person says, I know you, Mara. Mm-hmm. He also appears... Um, in some cases, as a as an old Brahmin to give you know, bad advice, like he shows up amongst the bhikkhus and he tells them, uh, "You're all uh, still young and black of hair. Uh, when you're old like me, you'll regret having wasted your life not seeking pleasures." <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mara is is still around, isn't? Yes, isn't he? You know, oh, yeah. speaking all the time. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, all these kind of. Um, Blandishments of Mara we can recognize mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in, in our own cases in modern times. Yeah. Mara is sometimes said to be like the the, the five khandas as well. The body yes. itself is is yeah. is a attempts to to uh, prevent you from moving forward in, in its demand for catering mm-hmm. to its needs. Yes, the body itself. <clears throat> yeah, the, the the name Mara means death. Aha, uh-huh. right. so it's identical with death. It's very interesting. So, of course, the body is uh, subject to death. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the whole sensual desire realm is impermanent and subject to death. Mm-hmm. And so this is Mara as leading beings to their destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk some of the encounters of monks and uh, lay people with Mara. Mm-hmm. One of the famous encounters is with uh, Moggallana, the, mm. the, one of the two chief disciples yes. and foremost in psychic powers and an arhat. And he yes. has an encounter with Mara. Yes, that's a very uh, fascinating uh, account. The first indication that Moggallana had that Mara was around was he had a um, a belly ache, and he was. Uh, he said, "Why, why does my belly feel like this? It feels like it's full of beans." <laughs> <laughs> and then he uses his psychic power to investigate, and Mara is is sitting inside his stomach, hmm. and and so he admonishes Mara, "You're making bad karma for yourself, plaguing the, the arahants." Mm-hmm. And Mara leaves and stands in the doorway, invisible, but. Mughalana is still able to, to, to see him. He says, I know you're there, Mara. I know you're still there. And he says, you should be careful because I know, because in a previous uh, age, I was the Mara hmm. during the reign of uh, or the time of Kakosanda Buddha, you know, aeons ago. Mughalana had been um, the Mara Dusi. That was his given name. And it's a curious detail. It said that... Um, he had a sister named Kali, hmm. and that the current Mara was Kali's son at that time. Hmm. So he was his nephew, was wow. Dusi's nephew. Um, 
So I don't know for sure if there's any connection with the Kali as she appeared in later Hindu mythology. Yeah. But Kali as the destroyer, isn't it? Like this yeah. Kali Yuga. And so yes, yeah. yeah, this very um, dangerous black goddess that people would do human sacrifices to. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, it's not clear whether there's a connection, but it's quite likely that there was. Mm -hmm. In any case, when he was, when Mogalana was Maradusi, he plagued the bhikkhus of uh, Kakusanda's dispensation. And uh, he entered the minds of the villagers when they went, when the bhikkhus went in for alms round. Mm -hmm. And he had them scold and revile and curse the bhikkhus as they came into the town. They, you know, abused them. And, mm -hmm. um, Kakusandi uh, taught his bhikkhus to practice uh, loving-kindness meditation mm -hmm. so that uh, this had no effect on them. So Mara was frustrated, so the next time he tried something different, he again occupied the minds of the villagers and he had them lavish praise, excessive praise and homage on the bhikkhus to try and turn their minds you know, to self-aggrandizement. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kakusanda had the bhikkhus practice uh, meditation on the repulsiveness of the body. Mm. Again, it didn't work. And his final encounter was um, as Buddha Kakusanda was leaving the village, followed by his chief disciple Widura, the Maradusi taking the form of a village boy threw a stone at, that hit the um, elder disciple in the back of the head and mm. caused him to bleed. And the Buddha turned around and said, now Mara, you have gone too far. And at that instant, because of that very bad kama, he died instantly, the Mara died instantly and reappeared in Naraya hell. Hmm. And as Mogalana is recounting this to the current Mara, he says, um, I spent a very long time in that hell realm. I had the body with the head of a fish and the, the demons thrust spears into my body. And they told me, uh, when the spears meet in the middle of your body, you'll know a thousand years have passed. <laughs> <laughs> So he said, you, you should be careful, Mara. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting power uh, tactic, actually, is that whatever it attempts to impede the spiritual path, also there's risks involved in that. And one yes. can say that one is not always the helpless prey of temptation and Mara and fear, but also those agencies which attempt to impede Practice also risk have results. So one can uh, say, Mara, bad karma. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice, uh, nice details of that story. And I think that it's, it's refreshing also for people who are practicing to realize that Mogalano was Mara. I mean, mm. uh, no matter what you've done over time, this is the vast time frame of, of the Dhamma and Buddhism. We tend to be in a narrow, in the West, a narrow, short time frames. But we realize that somewhere in the universe, we've been there, done that, mm -hmm. all kinds of things. So not to yeah. despair thinking that uh, some, some event in this life is kind of an impediment to enlightenment. Um, you may have done great harm and great good in the past. You just can't remember. 
but you should not think of these things as uh, great impediments to the progress on the path. This is the time frame is very, very opening for for the West. Mm -hmm. Often the, in the Sri Lankan community, I'll, somebody, a lay person, especially giving a, a bit of a talk, will will start with, in our long journey in samsara, yeah. in our long journey, it's quite yeah. a... It's kind of spacious and opening, isn't it? Yes. It's a yeah. long journey sometimes. And I think it's actually very important to think in those terms, and to think in terms of multiple lifetimes. Yes. To, be, to narrow your view down to a single lifetime, then yeah. uh, it, it puts a wrong perspective on things. Right. Looking back over a person's life, you know, when they're looking back from 50 or 60 years old and thinking how panicked and obsessed with time they were when they were 21 that mm. something didn't get done in a week it was the end of the world and so forth yeah. and they, if they could go back and give advice to that 20 year old they would say just chill you know just yeah. relax there's lots of time and lots of space and it's yeah. a different atmosphere so in the buddhist view it's even more expanded mm. so are there any other um pertinent areas for the exploration of mara well, one another of his um, repertoire of weapons is uh, uh, inducing false view. Ah. Uh, there's one story where there's a lay follower of the Buddha named Surambata, uh, who, uh, after hearing a discourse from the Buddha, um, he went back to his home, and Mara thought this fellow's getting a little bit too close for comfort, to escaping my snares. So he tried to trick him. He assumed the form of the Buddha mm. and knocked on the fellow's door. And uh, uh, when the fellow answered the door, he said, I had to come and see you because I'm sorry I made a mistake. I taught you that all the five aggregates are impermanent, but actually one of them is stable and lasting. <laughs> <laughs> As, as frequently uh, professed in some religious views, yes. So Surambata was not fooled by this. And, uh, he said he thought to himself, this cannot be the Buddha. Buddhas are always confident in their teachings. They don't make such mistakes. Mm -hmm. And he said, I know you, Mara. And this disarmed you know, Mara, and the attack was over. So I noticed in the story of the villagers that Mara possess their mind yes. in some way that seems to be able to take over their volition in some ways. Yes, although it's not a total loss of um, self to the Mara because it's added in that story that the villagers who reviled the bhikkhus were reborn in hell hmm. and the villagers who praised the bhikkhus were reborn in heaven. Hmm. Uh, so karma can only be made by oneself. Yeah. So it has takes volition. So yeah. uh, it's not a total possession. It's more like an influence. Yes. And there's also an incident um, towards the, the end of the Buddha's life mm -hmm. when uh, uh, Ananda uh, failed to ask the Buddha to prolong his life. Mm -hmm. And it's said that Mara possessed his mind. And then the commentary discusses this because Ananda was already a, a Sotapanna mm -hmm. that says that Mara can only influence someone like Ananda, a Sotapanna, at the level of perception, but not on the level of view. Mm -hmm. 
like he could possess an unenlightened person, uh, uh, Patujana, can be possessed at the level of, of view. Mm-hmm. So he can twist their understanding. Yeah. But with um, what the commentary says he did to Ananda was to cause his mind to conjure up a frightful vision so he became confused and didn't properly understand what the Buddha was saying. Uh-huh. So he was more or less distracted at the time. Yes, yeah. distracted him. Yeah, and failed to ask the pertinent question to live on for the for the ayu <laughs> yeah. the age yes <laughs> so yeah it's, this is very interesting that you know that the core teaching of the buddha is that evil is done by oneself also the good no one else purifies the mind mm-hmm. and so but at the same time um there's obvious influence so this is kind of like um in many cases, well, even the, the in the Second World War, this idea of that we were only following orders yes does not get you off the moral hook. Right, know, the fact that you followed yeah, orders a good, is, is good partly that you yeah. yes, there were strong persuasions, but others refused to follow the orders. So, yes, you know. yeah. So we're we're constantly in this in in life. Sometimes we're we're we seem to be pulled by circumstances. This happens in uh, riots and. Uh, big public events to the mm. the power of the crowd you know mm. yeah and uh of course uh in elections and so forth uh it's an attempt to appeal to that uh element of the mind but you're still responsible for your decisions and who you vote for etc it's a very useful teachings and it puts the responsibility squarely back mm. on the individual mm. you know Another set of characters that's interesting is Mar's daughters. Ah. He has three daughters, mm-hmm. uh, Tadha, Raga, and Arati. <laughs> Passion, desire, and discontent. Ah. Right? And um, after the Buddha's uh, awakening, Mara followed him around for a period of time. And it's a little bit obscure. There's, there's kind of a different ways of interpreting it, but it's either for one year or for six years. You mm-hmm. follow the Buddha around after his enlightenment, looking for a flaw mm-hmm. and not finding anything. Mm-hmm. And he gave up for the time being, and he was, it says he was sitting dejected by the side of the road, drawing lines in the dust with a stick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this great, powerful they were mm-hmm. reduced to this sort of pathetic figure. <laughs> and his daughters come along mm-hmm. and say, what's the matter? Tata, you know, like Daddy, what's the matter, Daddy? What? And he says, I can't find a single flaw in this um, Gotama. He's just beyond my power. And the daughters say, Leave it to us. No man can resist our charms. So they um, appear before the Buddha, and they said, You know, their uh, beauty is beyond human comprehension, and you know, no, no man could resist. But, uh, and they offered to. Uh, be his handmaidens mm-hmm. that he didn't even raise his eyes mm. so they assumed all kinds of various forms they said well some men like really young girls some like women of uh, middling age some like older women and they f- assumed all these different forms mm-hmm. nothing could tempt the mm-hmm. Buddha so they too gave up in despair and mm-hmm. they went back to Mara and Mara berated them you foolish foolish girls what, what did you think it's like trying to 
uh, topple Mount Sinaru with your fingernails. It's, it's <laughs> like trying to uh, cleave an iron pillar with your breasts. <laughs> and uh, so they had to give up as well. What's interesting is that after the Buddha's enlightenment, he is free of all delusion. Mara seems to appear to him, I think it's 16 times or something like that, you get the interaction of Mara with the Buddha. And so the idea that Mara is exclusively a psychological aspect, Mm. that Mara is is really your own internal desires and so forth, doesn't seem to make sense if the Buddha is free, not only of the temporary hindrances, but also of the very roots of these things. Yes. How would he be encountering elements of his own mind as temptation and so forth? And in in all of these, he's shown to be quite immune from any of these things. Yes. Mara is still, he's still meeting Mara from time to time. And the Arahants are also meeting Mara. So it really means that they did not think that we're just telling a psychologizing a story. There's some sort of function in reality externally to the mind that plays this role. Mm -hmm. And um, this is so that we don't go too far with the psychologizing. We still have this encounter with uh, from enlightened beings. Now, some would say, well, they must have little things left over, but it's very clear that they... They're not supposed to have no, anything no. left over. So. And the commentary is quite aware of this issue and distinguishes between different forms of Mara, different usages of the word, you should say. that There's Mara as defilement, there's Mara as khandas, and there's Mara as Dewaputta, meaning the being. And the encounters of the Buddha and the Arahants with Mara was with an entity, with a separate being. Yes. Um, but you, you can use it almost metaphorically just for defilements arising in your mind. You can consider them to be Mara. Yes. And even in the body as Mara as yes. well. As yes. The mind can yes. be Mara. Mind, you know, there are aspects of the mind that are playing tricks on itself. The body itself is, has a, an element of problematic element to it. In fact, it is, of course, it's destined for death as well. But there is this either external element, which I, I like people to, first from the West, who are understanding these things as stories and psychologies, to understand, yes, they are stories and psychologies, but there is another element to this. Mm-hmm. It's uncanny. I think most monks have <laughs> encountered Mara in yeah. certain ways that it's not simply a projection of the mind. It's as if the situation, the it is is um, mm. it's uncanny the mm. the elements of these things. Yeah. And as you say, the Buddha is perfected so that there's no trace of these defilements left. And, yeah. And Mara keeps um, attempting this mm. fruitless task. He keeps coming yeah. back and trying again and again. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the Buddha says to him. Yeah, you're like a fly buzzing around a bowl of hot porridge. You can't possibly land on it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it gets to be what the, at the very end of the Buddha's life, Mara's last temptation to the Buddha is, okay, now you've done everything you need to do. Why don't you just enter parinibbana and you know leave this earthly realm? Yes. 
everybody says enough Mara enough uh, when I finished uh, the, my last teachings at the end of this range retreat I shall enter Paridabana mm. and the, you get a, a sense in these last encounters that the Buddhas and Mara are almost at this point like old buddies <laughs> 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 they, they've known each other yeah. so long you know, yeah. the Buddhas got given them okay you know, I was going to into Parinibbana at the end of the rains, and you know, so that'll make you happy. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it is, a, it is, of course, parallel in in uh, the Christian encounter, Je- uh, Christ and, and uh, Lucifer or Satan. You know, this mm-hmm. kind of temptation in the desert, even yeah. in the desert, and then at uh, on the, at crucifixion yes. and all, yeah. all these yeah. things. So either the it's a it's a universal kind of. Uh, experience, or there was some sort of influence uh, in the stories mm. of Christ's uh, temptations uh, that possibly Buddhist stories had mm. drifted across. They had 500 years to mm-hmm. drift yeah. uh, through the pilgrimage mm. trails, the uh, the merchant trails, and with the Greek influence as well. There's an interesting uh, parallel with Christ's temptations in the desert mm. with Satan. And he says, um, uh, get, get thee behind me, Satan. Yes. You know, it's, it's like, I know you, Mara. Yeah. And the three temptations correspond to the three forms of tanha, mm-hmm. three forms of craving. First, he uses sensual desire because mm-hmm. Christ is fasting in the desert. So he says he creates bread out of rocks and says, yeah. you know, you can eat your fill. Then the second temptation is like the desire for becoming. He says, if you follow me, I shall make you king of the world. You can rule the whole world. The third temptation is uh, not being the temptation of of, uh, uh, unbecoming. He tempts uh, Christ to to make an end of it and throw himself off the the cliff. Yes. You seem to know all the stories, don't you? <laughs> From, <laughs> I've had vague memories of this thing, but you seem to be able to put your finger on all these. So when you were reading these, uh, you know, reading about Mara and researching Mara, did these associations come up or did you go back and sort of compare or what? Um, no, because I, I, I don't think in general that Satan is uh, a good parallel for Mara. Because right. Satan is has fallen from a high realm and he's in hell. Yeah. And he's he's intrinsically evil. Yeah. Mar is not so much evil as just um uh full of self aggrandizement and yeah. uh afraid that beings are going to escape from his snares, which is the sense desire realm. Everything yeah. in, in this realm is he, he he imagines himself as the overlord of the whole realm of sensuality, and he, right. it uh, terrifies him to see someone escaping that. Right. Yeah, and I often think of him as a Madison Avenue advertising executive, <laughs> or some sort of a corporate boardroom kind of thing that wants to keep customers, mm. and will will pretty well do anything to do that. Yeah, and they don't perhaps even know, you know. Quite often, people who are in those fields are asked, like, "Why are you so strongly motivated?" And they don't know, but it's just there's a certain inv- identity investment in keeping mm-hmm. people who either appreciate them or admire them or mm. refer to them with gratitude or something like that. Yeah. yeah. 
There's a final story that um, it comes from a late source, the Asoka Wadana Sanskrit uh, account of the life of King Asoka. Mm -hmm. That could be considered to be the end of the of the Mara of this of the Buddhist time. Hmm. The great Arahant monk of the day was Upagupta, mm -hmm. and uh, Mara wanted to disrupt his teachings. So when Upagupta gave a, a speech in public before a large assembly, he showered the, Mara showered the crowd with pearls. Hmm. So you know everyone starts scrambling to get the pearls, hmm. and they lost interest in the Dhamma talk. <laughs> And the second time was gold coins. Mm -hmm. And then a third time it was dancing girls mm -hmm. in the sky. It's anything to distract the crowd from listening to the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. So, and then um, Mara, as a, uh, a kind of a, a mocking gesture, he approached Upagupta and threw a garland of flowers over him. And Upagupta um, took the flowers off and threw them over Mara's neck. Mm. And when he did that, they changed into rotting corpses mm. of, of men and dogs and other animals. Mm. You know, it was a really foul, disgusting mm -hmm. thing. And he and uh, Mara couldn't take it off. Mm. And he he left. He fled away, and he went to all these various dewas, to Saka and to Asawana and to all these other dewas and asked them to help him get this off, and they said, we can't get it off, you'll have to go get it from Up and uh, make amends to Upagupta. He's the only one who can take it off. So he went back to earth and he paid homage to Upagupta and um, declared himself now to be a follower of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. So Upagupta caused the uh, foul garland to disappear. Mm -hmm. And then he... Uh, uh, Mara asked him, is there anything I can do for you now? And Upagupta said, well, there's one thing you can do that I would very much like. I know that in the Buddha's time, once you assume the form of the Buddha to trick someone, and I have uh, lived my entire life following the teachings of the Buddha, and I know his Dhamma body, but mm -hmm. I don't know his physical body, mm -hmm. and I would very much like to see the Buddha. If you could transform yourself into the appearance of the Buddha. And Mara said, I'll do it on one condition, that you don't bow before me. Because if you bow, to me it's it's such a unworthy thing for an arahant to bow to, mm -hmm. uh, such as I, that it might kill me. <laughs> so Upagupta said he wouldn't. But then when he changed into the Buddha, with his 32 marks and radiance and Upagupta was overcome with reverence mm. and he couldn't help himself. He bowed. <laughs> but Mara wasn't destroyed. Mm. He was, he was, uh, but this uh, further encouraged his faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And he then went around the town ringing bells and crying out, everyone should follow the Buddha's teaching. Everyone should listen to Upagupta. <laughs> and so he became a devoted follower of the Buddha. Um, but my own my own gloss on that, I would say mm -hmm. that may be the end of the Mara of the previous age. But it's pretty certain that there, there's still a Mara because there's still all <laughs> kinds of all kinds yeah. of temptations in the world. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mara is an office in the universe which has a continuous need to to refresh itself. When Mara disappears, another arises. One is always waiting in the wings. Yep.
one might almost compare it to uh, presidential elections mm -hmm. or uh, things like that. Or, you know, uh, the king is dead, long live the king. Yes. So there's yeah. an in, a continuous succession is, of these. So they're very, very familiar in, in that time with this idea of succession. And we are as well. Somebody's got to be fill these offices. It's the same with um, the other deities like Saka. That uh, Saka uh, has a certain lifespan, and then when he passes away, uh, another Saka arises. And there's there's a story where the Saka goes to see the Buddha because he knows he's near the end of his lifespan. Mm -hmm. And they have a very deep conversation on Dhamma. And then during their talk, towards the end of the talk, Saka dies. And because of the karma he's made by becoming a follower of the Buddha, he's instantly reborn as the new Saka. Mm -hmm. And this whole company of Dewas, the only ones who realized that it happened is Saka himself and the Buddha. So it is possible to be re-elected. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, we will end our discussion on Mara. <laughs> With the re-election of Saka. <laughs>